Hi, I'm Juliet Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliet Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited to have with me today, Leverett Wing. Leverett is the Executive Director of the Commonwealth Seminar. The Commonwealth Seminar is a nonpartisan organization seeking to open the doors of government to everyone. And this year happens to be the organization's 20th anniversary. Leverett has been at the helm since 2015. Prior to leading the seminar, Leverett directed the Community Services Division at the Mass Department of Housing and Community Development, overseeing a staff of 50 and a budget of over $20 million. He is a leader in the Asian and Pacific Islander community and is very active in terms of helping organizations get out the vote and specifically the APIA vote, a national DC-based organization. Prior to that, Leverett helped spearhead efforts in the Mass Asian American Commission and was named the commission's first permanent executive director. I could go on and on about his many professional attributes and accomplishments. I do also want to highlight the fact that he has written numerous op-ed pieces for the Boston Globe, the Boston Herald, and the Boston Business Journal. Among his many honors, Leverett was recognized as one of Get Connected's 100 Most Influential People of Color in Boston and was a recipient of the prestigious Good Guy Award from Massachusetts Women's Political Caucus, only the second Asian American to receive the award in its history. Leverett is also a connector by nature. And so I'm so excited to have him on the podcast. And we're going to jump right in. Today's topic, we're going to talk about bridging the gaps for communities of color. And this, I think, is an apt description of what Leverett actually does. So welcome, Leverett. Oh, thanks for having me, Juliet. I'm excited to be here. Wonderful to have you. So we're going to start off, Leverett, where we always start with our guests. Tell everyone about you, a little bit about your background and why you're passionate about the work that you do. Sure. My name is Leverett Wing. I am a Boston born and bred, actually raised in Chelsea, Massachusetts, which is a very blue collar working class suburb outside of just a little bit outside of Boston. And I've lived in the Boston area my entire life. My entire career, actually, since grad school has been dedicated towards uh, largely public service and, and bridging gaps and, and building bridges between communities, trying to get communities, particularly communities of color, and the Asian American community more active civically, sort of civically engaged, politically active, politically educated. And I've been doing that since I was, oh, in my early 20s. And that that was a long time ago. I won't give away my age, but that was a (laughs) long time. I mean, during the time I was there, I was pretty much the only Asian American who was a staff person at the State House when I started back in the early 90s. And on my very first week there, I was, I shouldn't say mistaken, it was assumed 
by a staff person uh, in another office that I was a member of the cleaning crew. Oh, and my, my. Even after I'd been there for a couple of years, it was assumed by another staff person who had joined um, our team that I was part of the postal staff. They asked a couple of my colleagues, so when does he deliver the mail? And that was because, yeah, and that was because at the time, before four or five o'clock, you really wouldn't see any people of color, any diversity in the state house. There was a, a former state senator once said, you know, Leverett, the only color you'll see in the state house before four o'clock is in the hall of flags. And then once 4.30, 5 o'clock rolls around, you get this diversity, this tapestry of color and diversity, women and people coming in. And it was because they're members of the cleaning crew. And so it was assumed, you know, it was 4.30, 5 o'clock when this woman saw me that I was wandering the halls of the state house. And so therefore, I must be a member of the cleaning crew. And wow. if I wasn't a member of the cleaning crew, then the only other tasks that folks who looked like me had been doing was a member of the postal staff. And so it was assumed that I was you know, one of those two entities. And so that really inspired me to try to get more folks at that time from the Asian American community. But as you look around more from communities of color to become more civically engaged so that they could see our faces. Mm-hmm. The decision makers could see our faces, hear our voices, get our perspective. And up until, particularly in the Asian American community, the Asian American community did not have an elected official in the Massachusetts State House until the 21st century, 2008. So staff people were few and far between, and an elected official was not even seen in the in the building until the 21st century. Wow, that's so hard to believe. And you have been instrumental in really helping to both help people to be seen and also really taking the mantle of bringing more people into civic engagement. And I know you've been behind many campaigns. So thank you for sharing that story. That's very helpful. And you, Leverett, have also been involved in really making sure that the Commonwealth Seminar is something that is there to help educate people, but also expose them. Tell our listeners about the Commonwealth Seminar. What exactly is it and why should people care? Well, the the seminar is a civic engagement and leadership training program for underserved communities, primarily communities of color. 91% of our nearly 2,000 alumni um, are from communities of color. We are about to, I think you mentioned in your intro, we're about to celebrate our 20th anniversary. And it all goes back to my story from before. It's our faces being seen, our perspective being heard. Our 20th anniversary kickoff celebration is called In the Room and at the Table. And because that's where our communities need to be. It's not good enough to just be in the room. You have to be actually at the table when decisions are made. So you can voice your opinion. You can give your perspective. You can influence decision makers. And we saw it during the pandemic where decisions were being made almost on an hourly basis, which were impacting our communities. Our communities were the ones that were most hard hit and impacted by the coronavirus. And you know, I'll give the example of when the vaccines were finally being rolled out. The vaccines were being rolled out in large, large spaces, like large stadiums, sort of giant locations where our communities didn't frequent. After a few weeks, they finally realized, decision makers finally realized, oh, we should put it in the community, that community health center. Well, that two or three week delay, people overused the the term life and death. Well, that really was life and death. 
You know, mm-hmm. people waited two to three weeks to get the vaccine. And, you know, who knows how many people got sick? Who knows how many people died or got seriously ill because of that decision? And if our communities had been at the table at that point in time, maybe there wouldn't have been that delay. Maybe the decision makers would have said, oh, we really need to roll it out in the communities as opposed to these giant stadiums, which are convenient and it's a one-stop shop but not realistic for our communities to get to an access. Right. Yeah. And that, I think that's a terrific example of why it is so important to have different voices and different perspectives at the table. And you've helped so many people get there. Now, I know that you are very active also on a number of boards and both in terms of some one of which we share and also a number of civic engagement groups. One of the things that I admire is the fact that you're not shy about making sure you voice your opinion. And so these numerous op-eds that you have written and that have been published really give voice to some of the things that you talk about. And in particular, I know that we talked a lot about the SCOTUS decision and the impact of that. And although it was about college admissions initially, that's there's a, a lot of forces who are trying to dismantle affirmative action in the business community and a- across many other dimensions of society. Tell us your thoughts, because again, you're a bridge builder. And in that scenario, one of the things that stood out was I felt like people were pitting sort of the Asian American community against other people of color and particularly the black community. So tell us your thoughts about what you think needs to happen, because you have a very interesting perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, it's a tried and true strategy by the power structure that exists. It's to pit different communities against each other. It's been going on since the 60s and 70s when the uh, the model minority myth took hold when it was pointed out that different success stories in the Asian American community were highlighted as a way of shaming other communities and telling those communities, well, see, the Asian American community seems to be doing so well. It's clearly not our society or not the barriers that are put up. It's not any racism in our society, because if they can do well, then clearly it's not the structure. It's you. So it's not us. It's you. When in in fact, I don't want to get too deep into the immigration history, but the Asian Americans who were in the country at that time were picked and choose. The U.S. and its immigration policy were able to cherry pick the most accomplished, the highest educated Asian Americans to come into the country. It was in the wake of the Chinese Exclusion Act and other discriminatory immigration policies that were put in place. And while they loosened them, when the government loosened them, they also began to sort of cherry pick the folks who were allowed to be in the country. So it was an uneven playing field to begin with, because if you're competing against folks with higher educational degrees, if you're competing against folks who are professors and doctors, then of course, those folks are going to be more more successful when they get in here. So the model minority myth was one of the very first examples of our communities being pitted against each other. And this is another one example where a small number of Asian Americans, and we don't want to get too political here, but you know, a small number <laughs> of Asian Americans who are mobilized by a more conservative-leaning attorney filed lawsuits uh, against elite colleges claiming discrimination against their students. And that was a small number of parents. But in point of fact, the Asian American community and 
community, other community, Latino community and, and the black community have been working in allyship for years. Right. Um, you go back to you go back to the March on Selma. There was a you know even with the small Asian American population in the country at the time because of the discriminatory immigration policies, there was a good number of uh, strong Asian American presence in that march. There's actually some photos of Dr. King with a lei wrapped around his neck because of uh, Asian American presence and one of his bodyguards. If you Google it. One of his bodyguards was an Asian American who then eventually went on to create Pac-Man afterwards, which is a very small trivial trivia. I didn't know that Pac-Man trivia. Yep, exactly. And so so there's that. And in terms of the Latino community, it was the Asian American community who helped organize the farm workers strike. The United Farm Workers created by an alliance between the Latino community, uh, Cesar Chavez, and uh, Filipino farmers. And so we have this history uh, and this this deep, rich history of working together in unison. But in terms of the, and, and this is where I, and you mentioned the stories, the writing that I do. The reason I do all this writing and the reason I do a lot of these podcasts is because we need to share our stories right. because the traditional media, the traditional outlets don't often cover or want to cover or just traditionally don't cover these types of stories. And so uh, we as communities need to tell our stories jointly. You know, we yeah. need to tell stories of solidarity. We need to tell stories of collaboration. And that's why I do a lot of the writing. And that's why I do the work that I do is because you know, our, our communities need to be united and yeah. we need to share these stories united, however good, however bad, however complex. It's very important that we share these stories. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I recall us talking about, I think I had sent to you the the Pew study that basically showed that in terms of support for affirmative action, that the the Asian American community was largely in support of. But you wouldn't know that from some of the stories and some of the things that you said. But thank you for uh, providing that historical context, because I think it is one of the important aspects of the work that you do. In terms of us working together, what are the kinds of things you think need to happen to make sure that our communities continue to work together to not allow this pitting of groups against each other and so forth? I think a lot of it beyond the the very basic sharing of our stories. It starts with the youth. It starts with educating our young people, whether it's high school or college, but most importantly, at the elementary school level, so that they know that we've been from a very young age, that we've all been working together, you know, improving curriculum. I know that there are a number of efforts that have passed nationally and that there are a number of efforts taking place here in Massachusetts where folks are trying to get a more diverse multicultural curriculum to teach these histories, teach these stories so that we know where we came from. And yeah, I was ashamed to admit this, but you know, now it's part of my story is I actually thought up until I was 10 years old that my parents came over on the Mayflower, not my parents, my ancestors came over on the Mayflower because that's what was in the school curriculum. And it was only until I went to a Jewish summer camp, Camp Menorah, way up in, in Essex, Massachusetts, that I began to learn that, oh, there's this thing called the Holocaust. And oh, you know, my, my parents or my, my grandparents and great grandparents weren't descendants from Europe. And it was because of the experiences I had, not in school, but in sort of a multicultural, a diverse community that I was able to learn our history. And it came from my parents because I started to ask them about, oh, what is this thing called the Holocaust? 
you know, what is what, you know, what is this, what are these different things that I'm learning at this camp? And so my parents started to share with me our history. And that gave me a richer sense of identity. It gave me a richer appreciation of what my great grandparents went through, what my what my mom went through yeah. when she was immigrating over. So yeah. I think it all starts with the youth. And then right. Yeah. It builds that up. We build that foundation. Yeah. And thank God for the youth, right? It gives us hope. And I am really impressed by the work that they're doing. As hard as it is to believe we are coming close to the end of our time together, I cannot believe how quickly this is going. So, Leverett, you know, we began by talking about the importance of civic engagement and also the, the work of the Commonwealth Seminar and how important it is for particularly people of color and marginalized groups to actively engage, certainly not only people of color, but unfortunately, the representation in terms of participation really back then was a bit of a challenge. I have to say, I'm inspired to see the changes that are happening in terms of so many people getting involved civically. And a lot of that work and credit goes to people like you for helping to drive that. So there's the importance of being engaged and and actively participating. You know, I love the in the room and at the table concept. If you're not at the table, right, then you're not able to influence the important work and decisions, particularly in a situation such as you mentioned, the COVID-19 disparities and so forth. And so that was the second takeaway, uh, how important it is to be at the table. The other thing that I heard you say is that it's really important for us to know our history and that whether we're parents or individuals, we absolutely must fight to make sure that our children are educated and those around us are educated about who we are, where we come from, and the impact on what we're doing. And you shared the story of Martin Luther King and Selma. I thought that was uh, pretty um, inspiring. I I, I love the Pac-Man detail too. (laughs) But but the, the message is we really have to take things into our own hands for those of us who may have a different perspective or may not have opportunities to be at the table in these different circumstances. So kudos to you for the work that you're doing. And lastly, you also talked about how important it is really to what I'm calling control the narrative about you, right? So whether that's writing the opinion pieces, whether it's getting your thought leadership out there, that it's important for us to define ourselves and to find ways to bring communities together and not allow others to define who we are to represent or misrepresent in many cases, those various perspectives. And the work that you're doing with the Asian community and in terms of building those bridges and bringing together all different kinds of communities, I find inspiring. So thank you so much for that. And, you know, I definitely want to give this opportunity now to let people know how they can contact you. Sure. I mean, and, you know, thank you for having me, Julieta. It's wonderful to have this platform and you're wonderful to have your friendship first and foremost. And, you know, thank you for the opportunity to share, to share my story and to share my thoughts and perspectives. I really do appreciate it. And I'm very grateful for it. Get in touch with me at my email address, which is leverett, L-E-V-E-R-E-T-T, at commonwealthseminar.org. Or you can reach out to my staff at info, I-N-F-O, at commonwealthseminar.org, and someone will get back to you as quickly as we can. 
Terrific, terrific. And I want to say that the feeling is absolutely mutual. I too am grateful for our friendship and for the support that you have shown to me personally and to Inspiration Zone. And so thank you, Leverett. And I'm sure we'll be having many future conversations. So until next time, we'll be seeing you soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening. Take care, everybody. Thank you for joining us on Entering the Inspiration Zone. Until next time, we would love to hear from you. So if you'd like to join our mailing list, please send an email to info at inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.